No, you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Let's go to Norway. What? Norway, as in Scandinavia, as in fjords and such. Vikings? Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> you were going to say Yavo, and Yavo yes, is I... a lot in this movie. <laughs> yes, I was. Yes. <laughs> There was a lot of Deutsch in the movie. There was a lot that I was able to pick up. I was like, ooh, she told him to go right and then make a left. Oh, that I can pick up. <laughs> Rex and Lynx. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, ooh, somebody's coming over there to work. Yeah, Arbite. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was like, I'm, oh, I know. I sprecken. Look, he's telling them to go fast. Mach schnell. <laughs> yeah. I sprecken. Bakery Deutsch. Okay, we are this week doing The Torn Curtain, 1966 movie. Well, it's not Ohio State University. It's just, it's Torn Curtain. It's not The Curtain. Oh, there's no The? No, it's just Torn Curtain. Okay. Well, world-famous scientist Michael Armstrong and his fiancée slash assistant, Sarah Sherman, traveled to Copenhagen for a physics conference. When Sarah mistakenly intercepts a message meant for Armstrong, she believes he is secretly defecting to East Germany. <laughs> because in 1966, there was an East Germany. And it was... Well, I'll get to that later. Mm -hmm. So, are you ready for the particulars? We are ready for the particulars. Torn Curtain, released July 14th, 1966. I believe it's Alfred Hitchcock's 50th film. That's right. It's directed and produced by Alfred Hitchcock. So, 1960, he did Psycho. Then he did The Birds in 1963 followed by Marnie in 1964, and Torn Curtain. And then he followed this Torn Curtain up with Topaz, Frenzy, and Family Plot. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of, this is the later Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. It was written by, well, the screenplay was by Brian Moore, who was a novelist and screenwriter. He also wrote... Luck of Ginger Coffee, Catholics, The Blood of Others. Never heard of those. Um, and then uncredited rewrites by Willis Hall, who did the plays The Long and The Short and The Tall, and adapted Billy Liar from the novel written by his friend and co-collaborator, who also rewrote on this uncredited Keith Waterhouse who wrote the novel Billy Liar and Whistle Downwind. The music was by Jay Addison. He also did A Fine Madness, The Honey Pot, Start the Revolution Without Me. He did a lot of stuff that I never heard of before, but a lot. Director of photography was John F. Warren. There was no blue link on his name in Wikipedia. Also Therefore edited. we know nothing more. I tried 
to find, I tried to do a search for him to expand my researching beyond Wikipedia. I was not able to find any other films that he did because the first thing that came up was Alfred Hitch blog at wordpress.com. And I got a lot of great information from that. Oh, cool. So that was, I was where my research in John F. Warren stopped. Also the same thing with, uh, it was the editor, Bud Hoffman. Okay. Don't know. Edith Head did, uh, dressed Julie Andrews. Did she? Yes. I believe I saw that in the credits. I hope I did not make that up. Okay. Starring uh, Paul Leonard Newman as Professor Michael Armstrong. So before this movie, he was in Harper, which we did. Then he did Torn Curtain. Then he did Hombre. And then he did Cool Hand Luke. Yay! Co-starring Dame Julie Andrews as Sarah Sherman. She wasn't a dame at the time, though, was she? No, but she's a dame now. Yes, she is. She did Mary Poppins in 1964. 1965, she did The Sound of Music. So, And then she did Torn Curtain. So she was a big-time star. Then she mm-hmm. did Hawaii, and then in 1967, she did Thoroughly Modern Millie. So, I mean, she was already Mary Poppins, already did The Sound of Music, already was known on the stage. Um... Lila Kendrova as Countess Something. She had just won a best, the Best Supporting Actress for Zorba the Greek. And mm. she also won a Tony for the same role in the musical version of Zorba the Greek. Ah, okay. And the ballerina was Tamara Tomenova. She made her Paris Opera debut at 10 years old. When she was 12, she and Irina Barnova, who was also 12, and Tatiana Ryobotskia at 14. They were known as the Baby Ballerinas. She danced with Gene Kelly in Invitation to Dance. And then we have Wolfgang Klepp. Klinging? I butchered his last name. It was <laughs> he did Just Herman. He was Herman Gromick. He oh, was a okay. child actor. And he was also at a small role in the heist with Warren Beatty and the Amsterdam affair. He did a lot of dubbing for the German movies. Like he would dub Paul Newman's voice when the no. the other Paul New like the the other German guy wasn't around, and he did like Charlton Heston. He did a bunch of voices, and up until his death in 1985, he was the German voice of Bert on Sesame Street. Ah, mm-hmm. and there are the particulars. Okay, well the credits are rolling, and as they're rolling, there's like fire on the left of the screen and stills of people in the movie in obvious distress as the credits roll okay well a ship is coming into norway it is cold there's no heat on the ship in the dining room everyone's wearing winter coats the water is frozen we find out there are a bunch of scientists on the ship nerd alert 
it starts with you're describing a wordless montage that is like Hitchcock started other films, setting the table, if you will, like Dial M for Murder and Rear Window. Okay. Okay. Well, we have Michael and Sarah in bed, and and they're under all the covers, and they have coats on top of the covers, and um, they are staying warm, staying in bed. And my thinking, how is this movie not a hit? We start with Paul in bed. We start with Paul and Julie Andrews. Well, we find out they're engaged, and she is trying to get a wedding date out of him. And uh, he's he's not doing that yet. And he didn't get a job he wanted. And now he is going to be teaching at a university, maybe? I, he's going to be... Honestly, I can't tell you what they were talking about. Well, he didn't get the job he wouldn't have already said that and he said um i started in washington and ended up teaching everybody else starts teaching and ends up in washington so it appears he did not want her to come on this trip yeah it's a bit awkward yeah so there's a knock on the door there's a radiogram and paul opens the door and the Nerd alert, if I may. Yeah, anytime. The first third of the movie is from uh, Julie Andrews's share, Sarah's character's point of view. Oh, okay. So this is her point of view. That's interesting. Okay. Didn't pick up on that. Um, the radiogram says your book is ready. And Paul goes, this must be a mistake. Uh, it, this wasn't meant for me. And he gets back in bed. But it's enough. Like, he reads the entire message. So the audience is like, um, you really read a lot of that to say that it wasn't for you. He's acting very weird. He is. He is very, rather standoffish. Yes. Even though he's in bed with her. I'm okay. like, did, did they, you know how the last movie, The Sting, Everybody said, oh, we didn't want Paul Newman because he doesn't have a com comic touch, comedic mm -hmm. touch. Perhaps they had seen Torn Curtain. <laughs> okay, so much more to say about that. <laughs> Next scene, they're up and dressed. And Paul goes down to the communications room and asks to see that radiogram again. And he says, send an answer, message received. And then it's obvious they're going, and then they arrive in Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. Okay. They go to the hotel and they have adjoining rooms because they're engaged, not married. Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. I did. The phone rings, and I was wondering if he did that on purpose because he didn't want her to come on this trip. Yeah, I didn't really understand their whole relationship because I guess she's also his assistant. Mm -hmm. So I'm just and she and he didn't want to come on the trip. She I was basically saying in my head, uh, Julie Andrews, 
I know it's Paul Newman, believe me. I understand. But he's just not that not into that you. Into you. <laughs> I wrote that in, in mine as well. Yeah, read the signs. He's like, just ooh. not that into you. Yeah. More on that later. So um, the phone rings and she gets it and there's something about a bookshop and Michael needs to go to the bookshop. Well, his book is in. Um, cut off radiogram on the ship. I don't know what that meant. Remember, because they had the radiogram, he said, this isn't me, goes down, right. says message received, then they call him, his room, he's in the shower. Oh, that's right. And okay. she picks it up, and it's like, oh, your book is in, and then they have a bit of a, uh, he's trying to, to lose her, and to get her out of his room, and so he's like, why don't you, I'm going to take a shower. I don't know. Why don't you go take a stroll or something? So then the phone rings, says the book's in, and she's like, oh, I'll go pick up his book for him. So then she goes, all right, I will take a stroll. Your book came in. I'm going to go pick it up for you and goes out, and he's in the shower. He's like, wait, did he? No, what did she just say? She's so clingy. Oh. Oh, She's so clingy. And I hope that was a wig. But it was not good. Her helmet of hair? Yeah. I mean, I hope Edith Head didn't have anything to do with that head. No. I see what you did there. (laughs) Okay. So, she sees a man that they were supposed to have lunch with on the ship. And the man says something about, oh, I'm so sorry you were sick and you couldn't eat lunch with us. And she's going... What? I, what? What? I wasn't Michael lied about that. Julie Andrews was really good at this one, just the one face that she gives the entire movie of the entire confusion. Movie. Um, and then a man comes by and says he'll take her to the bookshop. And she mentions that they're engaged, and the man seems really surprised. Okay, so they go to the bookshop. She says she's there for the book for Professor Armstrong. And the person says, why didn't he come himself? And he gives her the wrapped package. Uh, she sees the uh, she sees a, a weird-looking man. And then the guy goes, take good care of it, dear heart. Who is Professor Armstrong? Pray for him. Yeah, because then there was the woman, and she was also working at the bookshop and they had a whole thing about the bibles and stuff you know hitchcock hitchcock jokes and then she's like who is this professor armstrong and the guy's like pray for him so you're like oh no yeah well now they're in the hotel lobby and the front desk calls michael over and she sees him putting what looked like airline tickets you know they well you don't know they used to come in a in a little brochure folded thing and that would be where your tickets went and you put that in your pocket i still print out my airline ticket at the kiosk you don't get your you don't get the folded brochure thing with the slip where you put it in so you don't lose that no, but I had one not too long ago. I forget for what. 
I think it was going to Japan. And then, see, he has the book. She brought him the book. So she, he goes, I'm going to go leave this book with the concierge. But he actually goes into the restroom. And where he goes must have been the, the wheelchair stall because it's huge. And it um, in the front of the book, it says, turn to page 107. There are underlined letters and there's a pie sign, not as in cherry, but as in. As in the ratio of the circumference to the diameter, pi, 3.14 nerd. And so he writes out his coded message on toilet paper and the contact for pi. Well, it's lunch. And will you tell me before we eat or after why you're so upset? It was, she was basically like, why didn't you want to tell me, uh, why didn't you want me to come on this trip? That's what and she why, says. why you're you're acting upset and what are those tickets for? And he goes, well, the thing is, I have to go to Stockholm tonight. And she says, but your speech is this afternoon. And um, your speech is more important for the Swedish Defense Department. And... He says, I don't care about the stupid speech. And you're like, what? There's someone named Hagstrom. He knew my project was canceled and thought the Swedish might want it. So that's why he's going to Sweden, so that maybe he can get his project back up. So the government didn't want his project. And so he's going to try to take it to Sweden. Yes. So his project was developing um, a defense against. So it didn't matter. Basically, his pros it was a defense because everybody knows that the best offense is a good defense, and defense wins championships. That's Got me two backgammon championships yesterday. See? Exactly. Because so his plan was, oh, we don't care if the Soviet Union has nukes, if we have the best defense, they fire the nukes. Our defense intercepts them. They can't touch us. What? There we go. Then everybody gets rid of their weapons because they don't work. Exactly. Too bad that didn't happen in 1966. Well, but she, she shut down says, the program. You never intended to give that speech tonight. And he goes, you go, you take notes. I'll be back in time for our wedding. And she says, what in two or three months <laughs> and he goes yeah pretty much and she goes i want to go with you <gasps> and he says no it wouldn't work she is crushed and she hustles off and i have to say i felt crushed as well it felt like paul newman was breaking up with me too i was like oh of course oh what a cold send-off newman So she finds out he is go. Oh, well, she tried to check on the flight so that she could get on the flight as well. Well, she had an open ticket. So she goes to the concierge because I guess this is how you did it before the Internet. 
She goes to the concierge, says, um, my open ticket. Do you have a flight? Does she, I think she asked for a flight to the next flight to Stockholm. Stockholm. Yeah. And the one just left and th- she was like, there's another one. And she says, okay, great. And then she says, wait, where did professor Armstrong? She asked something about his flight. Mm-hmm. And the guy goes, oh, he didn't fly to Stockholm. He's going to East Berlin. Dun, dun, dun. To which she utters, and this is a nerd alert, because the screenwriters tried to get him to, tried to get Alfred Hitchcock to change this line, because he was like, this is the worst line of dialogue I've ever heard. His Julie Andrews goes, East Berlin? That's behind the Iron Curtain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so Michael's on the flight. He's sitting there. And he looks behind him. And there's Clingy Sarah <laughs> on the flight as well. He is pissed. <laughs> Dang. What? This broad. So she's sitting next to this dame all dressed up with a black fur hat on and all this makeup. Uh, he goes back to talk to her and he said, what in hell's name are you doing here? Now, if that doesn't tell you to get off the plane, I don't know what does. Well, they're in the, the middle of the air. So there's that. Well, he goes, don't talk to me and take the next flight anywhere. Well, when they get to said East Berlin, the press is waiting and they have Armstrong wait until everybody else deplanes because the press is there for him. And then there's a weird dude and the weird dude said to him, I thought she didn't know. Um, uh, I must introduce him to our vice minister, said the weird dude. The, uh, the distinguished nuclear scientist decided to live and work for peace here. Now, that was said first in German, and then it was translated into English. And she is like, what? What? what, what? He is defecting to the East? He's becoming a commie? Well, and then the guy goes, do you have a visa? And she goes, no. And he goes, well, I can get you one. And I said, something's up with that woman in the black fur hat from the plane. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now um, a state security guy. That's uh, Gromick. The weird dude whispers to Scarface. There's a guy with a scar on his face. His personal guide is is Scarface. It's Gromick, Scar- right? Yeah. Yeah. Scarface wears the full-length black leather coat. So you know he's up to no good. And he lived in America, New York City, for some time. As was the first thing that he said. So his shtick is, do they still do that? Do they still say yeah, that? Do they, do they still, still say, uh, how they say, uh, big deal? And he says to Michael, you brought excess baggage. 
meaning Sarah. I didn't know she was coming. Um, I hope she'd join me here later. And so they say, bring her in. What do we do with you? Um, then they ask her, how would you like to live behind the Iron Curtain? And she's not sure what to say. But she says to Michael, what do you want me to do? I think he's made it abundantly clear. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm like, wait, how did you guys meet? She's British. So uh, the um, the East Germans say, you know, sleep on it. Give us your answer tomorrow. Well, now there there's press and applause, and they say Michael is going to make a statement. Um, there, he made an anti-missile missile. It's an offensive nuclear weapon. It will make offensive nuclear weapons obsolete. The best offense is a good defense, <coughs> and defense wins championships. Right. And so he is defecting because, um, you know, the United States didn't want it, so he wants somebody to have it, so he's going to give it to the East Germans, a.k.a. USSR at this point. But here's my problem at this point in the movie. I'm supposed to believe that Paul Leonard Newman is going to play a defector to the Soviet Union in 1966? I'm sorry. Is this the first problem you had? <laughs> just just asking. No, my first problem I had was like, guys, obviously you have no idea what to do with Julie Andrews. Uh, I have it. Do you want me to do my nerd alert now? Oh, we can do it later. Okay. Well, okay. Back to setting the table. They are in a car. They're squished up in a car. Black leather coat says his name is Gromp. Uh, it's a big deal. Yeah, you still say that? Yeah. So they go to the Hotel Berlin. Paul, uh, Michael goes into Sarah's room. And he goes, now you know. Get on a plane tomorrow and go home. And she's all upset. How could you tell me those lies? When you turned around on the plane, you looked like you hated me. Won't you please take me home? So she's... Okay, there's a knock on the door. Weird dude's name is Carl. And you get room service. Uh, he tells her, get room service. Carl and I are going to have a bite downstairs. So He's he not even eating with her. Hmm. Okay, Morning. Knock on the door. It's Carl. Picks up a note from the front door, and the and it says, "Gone to Sarah from Michael. Gone for a walk. Go home." Damn. Michael walks, and then his elevator takes him down. There are three or four Pootsfrows on the floor, scrubbing the floor, on their knees. He it's walks the right east, through. Man, it's the east. Yeah. He, he walks right through where they're working. He doesn't try to skirt around where they haven't scrubbed yet. He gets on a bus. Oh, he gets on a bus 
leather coat dude is following him. He goes to the Berlin Museum, and there are lots of Hitchcock-esque footsteps on tile floors. Yes. Now, Michael's trying to lose Grumpk, black leather coat dude. And I'm going, take off your shoes. <laughs> okay. Michael gets back outside, jumps in a cab, and goes to a farmhouse in the country. A woman answers the door. He makes the pie sign in the dirt with his shoe, and she points to a man on a tractor out in the field. So he goes out to the field and gets on the tractor with Dude, and Dude is strangely American and says, how does it feel to play a dirty defector? Ah, I knew it. Right. And the American says to Michael, she, you know, Sarah, she doesn't really know what you're up to, does she? And he goes, there's info I need in the head of a scientist at Leipzig University. It takes a scientist to pick a scientist's brain. So really, this is a covert operation. And they should have uh, trained agents doing it, but they don't know what to look for or listen for. So this non-agent, non-trained, gorgeous man had to go by himself and, and make up this story so he can find out the one piece that's missing from him to be able to make the anti-missile missile. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's all this out This is all now. just the MacGuffin. Now, Washington knows nothing about this. So, uh, his contact is Casca, Dr. Casca in Leipzig. Um, and so I have black leather coat is at the farmhouse now. And he says, they're, we're going to report you. And he points to the pie sign that is still in the dirt. Cause see a seasoned agent would have covered that up by now. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, black leather coat is doing, what does that mean? Uh, it's the big house for you. Yeah, it's basically black. I mean, black leather coat. They came to him. They said, look, we got an American who's a defector. He's a scientist. Black leather coat guy is the guy that's like, really? An American is going to give up? I lived in America, guys. You're telling me he's going li- to give all of that up to come over here to help us? I'm very suspicious, but I'm his security detail, so I follow him, a.k.a. I go to see if he's double-crossing us, which I suspect because I'm suspicious of everyone because I'm in the security detail. Yes. And then he's like, aha, I was right. Well, guess what? It's the Huskow for you. And Do they do they still say that? Excuse well, how how you say? Uh, uh, you are fucked? Oh, yes. And your whole little farming community as well. So they're in the farmhouse with with farmhouse Frau. She is cooking, of course. And Black Leather Coat goes to pick up 
the receiver of the telephone, which I was really surprised the farmhouse had a telephone in 1966. Well, okay. Also, two things. One, it's a farmhouse in 1966, but it's a farmhouse that's operating a secret spy ring. So That's true. That's true. Two, is so the farmhouse sink <laughs> that people talk about loving is because you want a sink that they used to have in farmhouses before like technology and all of that stuff when it was a miracle they just had running water and that was the sink i don't want i don't want the farmhouse sink from 1966 i want the replica of it that you put in your house and make, ah, remember those old times when I would have no time to watch Netflix and chill because everything had to be done? I'd have to do all of the wash, all of the cooking, make my own Obviously, candles. you never had a baby picture taken of you taking a bath in the big farmhouse sink at Grandma's house. <laughs> and it was so adorable. No, because I am not that old. <laughs> <laughs> so black leather coat starts dialing the phone and all of a sudden a ball <laughs> hits his hilarious. head man that's one of those seeds you need to show poppy before it runs off because he'll <laughs> love it <laughs> so the black leather coat and paul get in a fight oh this is one of the great scenes in this movie. Great. It is. And there's a nerd alert about it. I got nerd alerts about it. Do you want to do them now? It's up to you. If it's the um, the length of the scene and the reason for that, I think this is a perfect time. Okay, because I got, I got quotes from Hitchcock on this. So go mm -hmm, ahead. I did too. Okay, yeah. Well, it was just that it it was an unbearably long. Let me period. let me read it for you. Okay, go ahead. In, I shall drink. <clears throat> quote, and I'm taking this from Alfred Hitch blog at WorldPress.com. I couldn't find who wrote this, so that's where I got it from. Quote: In doing that long killing scene, my first thought again was to avoid the cliche. In every picture, somebody gets killed, and it goes very quickly. They are stabbed or shot, and the killer never even stops to look and see whether the victim is really dead or not. And I thought it was time to show that it was very difficult, very painful, and it takes a long time to kill a man. Right. Because, my goodness... Um at one point, she pulls out a huge butcher knife. Well, it wasn't a butcher Plung knife. It was like one, just a big, long knife. Plunges it into his chest. It breaks off. Yeah. And he's still going. He takes a licking and keeps, keeps on, on ticking, ticking, as they used to say about Timex. She picks up a shovel and starts hitting him in his shins. In his knees. He's still going. He takes a licking and keeps on ticking. The whole time, Newman's trying to choke him out. 
No one's trying to choke him out. Dude gets back up. And there's no music. And they have to be quiet because the taxi driver's outside. So they have yes. to kill him. and Because that's the whole thing. They have to be quiet and they have to keep him from making noise because they can't have the taxi driver come in. That's why they didn't use the gun. Yes. She looks I at the gun. Why don't you use the gun? <laughs> but Hitchcock says it because she looks at the gun and then she looks outside and you see the taxi driver. And you're ah. like, oh, they can't they can't let the taxi driver know. Oh, well, mm -hmm. now black leather coat with the piece of knife sticking out of him and such has Paul in a headlock. And they keep fighting. And at this point, we, we know he's not an agent because he didn't have any skills for this. I mean, he would have had, he would have, it would have taken a long time to kill a human, but it takes extra long because he has no skill. Mm -hmm. okay. I'm a physicist. So she turns on the gas of her gas oven. Yes. And the two men are right there. Finally, Paul gets Black Leather Coat's head in the oven while he's trying to keep his head out of the gas fumes. She's trying to pry Black Leather Coat's hands off of Paul's neck. All doing the sight. There's no music. Oh, man. Finally, his hands go still. Fi and literally, it's a finally. And she turns off the gas. Now he has blood all over his coat, so she has to take his coat. And he's a little bit shook up. Because he's never killed somebody. Never. So she has to wash his hands. And then uh, it's like they can't, they're not talking to each other because they don't speak the same language. And it's now what do we do? And so um, she shows him the shovel. I thought he was going to, you know, like do the deed but no because the taxi driver is now coming up to the house for him it's like uh i've been waiting long enough yeah you guys what, what are you murdering someone in here so paul leaves her to deal with the body and the motorcycle of black leather coat because they look at the motorcycle and paul's like you also gotta get rid of that as well oh it's exhausting now they're back on the street in berlin and Gerhardt wants to see Michael and Sarah in his office. And so Michael goes in like, she has not left yet. I can't believe this. And Gerhardt says, she's decided to work with you here. And she turns and looks at him and says, I want to be with you. And this is where I wrote, he's just not that into you. <laughs> like, geez, lady. Like, what has he, I'm thinking here. All right. You know, obviously, this is Paul Newman Appreciation Month. Obviously, everyone knows where the Gone with the Bushes podcast feels about Paul Newman. So, up until this point, I always gave the benefit of the doubt to Julie Andrews. Even getting on the plane, I was like, that is Paul Newman, though. I mean, look at that him. <laughs> okay. I can't, I can't really cast aspersions to this woman because I, I mean, you know, it's Paul Newman. It's Paul. He said yeah. he was going to marry me. I, I'm going to, I'm like white on rice then. But 
at this point, though, I think I would like to think I would have enough self-respect <laughs> to just Although to just take Paul a moment. Newman, I probably wouldn't, <laughs> even though it's Paul Newman. Just take a moment and be like, has he given me anything since he didn't even want me on this trip? He's never even had. He had like one meal with me, and he was very terse. He's tried to like ditch me several times. Like I, I don't know. Do I really want to give up my democratic freedoms and just go headfirst into East Berlin? I don't know. I mean, yes. His but blue she, eyes are striking. She's in she's in Berlin. So it's not like, you know, like when we rode the train and, and we could tell as soon as we passed over into what used to be the East. Mm-hmm. Because everything was so dull and nothing had been washed and there were still bullet holes from World War II. And it was just gray. Everything so was desolate. So she knows what, what it looks like. She you know, it's not like sitting back in the West going, yeah, I'll go. I can do that. Yeah. I can. No. She actually sees it. Yeah, those... that's what I'm saying. That's why this was the first time where I was like, ah, uh, what's he giving you? What sliver? Has he even said, how are you? Like, has he even smiled at you? Or is like, ah, there's something there still. Those baby blues haven't twinkled for her this trip. Well, they have cognac, and um, Gerhardt says, to your new life and your new country. And immediately they leave for Leipzig. Uh, at Leipzig, they go to the Karl Marx University. POC they- alert! I saw two Asians. Oh. Yeah. I, I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, they're probably... Maybe they were Chinese because, you know, communism. But then I was like, you know what? Wait, couldn't they also be North Korean? They could be. So they could be from they could be uh, the border of Russia and China. Yeah. So I the don't go region. I didn't get to. Um, I don't know. So just Asian. OK, fair enough. They meet Professor Gutmann, and I went, Goodman, he's going to be a good guy. No, that never happened. No. And here, somebody, and um, Carl is there. Oh, he gets a new security person since Black Leather Coat has just mysteriously gone missing. Everybody's like, hey, where's Gropek? Uh, They tour the university, and as... Um, they're walking down a flight of steps. A foot sticks out and trips Paul, and he falls down a flight of steps, and they take him to Dr. Casca. Dr. Casca was who he was supposed to hook up with. Oh. Remember? And she is a female doctor. Yeah. It has been an hour, and I was happy to stop taking notes at this point. Mm. So, um, a lot more ensues. By this time, you know that he just needs this something from 
the professor to be able to make his anti-missile missile. Nerd MacGuffin, nerd MacGuffin. You know he's not really a uh, a defector, but they were going to be able to get him out. But now he has this extra baggage, so that that is they the reason have he didn't want two people her on to escape. Yeah. Okay. So more nerd alerts. Well, you skipped the POC. I did, because I thought we did the POC. Well, no. Well, they were the two Asians that when they got to Karl Marx, and then once like shit hits the fan, and everybody's looking for everybody, you see four, at least four black students at Karl Marx University. I did not see four black students. I did. I saw three, and then I saw a fourth in a lineup. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Wow, I missed that completely. There you have it. Well done. Nerd alerts? Because okay. I, I have mine in my tasty nuggets, so go ahead. Oh, okay. <clears throat> well, I already saw said how it starts with the wordless montage. The first third is the woman's point of view. The middle third is Paul Newman's point of view. I already said how the screenwriters tried to change East Berlin behind the Iron Curtain. Um, okay. When they're in the East Berlin hotel room, it's all shot in a single shot. And I oh. have a quote from Hitchcock. <clears throat> there was one very effective sequence in the film that I purposefully played entirely in long shot. It took place in that East Berlin hotel room where we had the evening sun shining in, just a faint yellow shaft of warm sunlight. The rest was that awful heavy brown, a mood effect. That sequence represents very close coordination between the visual conceptions of the production designer and the cameraman. The lighting and the color of the light work in relationship to the somber tones of the room. There you have it. It was. I noticed it. I was like, "Oh, this is beautifully crafted." See, I don't notice that stuff. And if you look at a a shot of it, it does look like a painting. I'll have to go back and check that out. You already mentioned the art museum scene, the chase with Gromick. Uh-huh. That was shot using the actors just walking, and uh-huh. most of the walls. And works of art were matte paintings done by Albert Whitlock. Hmm. And those hold up. I thought that it, I was like, I don't think that is like real, but it looks good. Uh, the hilltop scene where, um, because that happens a lot in Hitchcock movies where the audience knows something that a character doesn't know. And so then when the character is let in on it, it's like you don't see the dialogue of it happen. So in this case, it was shot when they, she he goes up on a hill, and that was shot on a sound stage because you're kind of like what? Yeah, what you that? could tell. You could tell. I could yeah, tell. Mm-hmm. a lot of people could tell. the The person with this Alfred Hitch blog was like, "What the hell, Hitchcock? Like, how could you not tell? You're such a master mm-hmm. of this. Why would you let this go- fly?" Um. The bus scene, also that scene projected images. Um, 
and the images that were projected like going through the because the bus was shot on a sound stage so the everything you see on the windows that was shot by a crew and the crew mm-hmm. was a german crew and when hitchcock saw what the german crew had done and how they had filmed it he was not happy and he was like we should have sent the american crew to do this and the first time i noticed it was very early in the movie when they were at that cafe because they're at the cafe and you can tell the background is yes because the background's windy and there is no wind yeah. on Newman or Julie Andrews. So well, nothing was moving her hair. Well, yeah, that's true. Dor- Hurricane Dorian couldn't have moved her hair. The, the final scene, how they're fighting crowds, that's another Hitchcock motif. He used it in yeah. the 39-step saboteur and North by Northwest. There's a lost scene with Gromex brother which the same actor plays his brother and it's soon after he was paul newman murdered his brother he comes and he runs into his brother and his brother has some sausage that he wants to deliver to his brother because he doesn't know his brother's dead and grow and the brother uses a knife that looked just like the knife that cut into that they tried to kill him with oh wow and to cut it and and it was um Alfred Hitchcock loved the scene. He was like, it worked so it was effective. He loved it, but he cut it out of the movie because the movie was too long. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I agree with the person who wrote the blog. Like, there's so you had so many scenes that you didn't like that were in this movie, and that yeah. you took out a scene that you really liked because the countess, like she was a good actress, but you could have cut stuff from that. There's, there's, there's so much stuff that you could have cut out of the film to make room for a great scene with the brother, but whatever. And, I mean, it was kind of doomed from the start because they didn't have a script. Nobody was really happy with the script before they started, and they were shooting it and making corrections day by day. Hitchcock didn't really want Julie Andrews and Paul Newman they were foisted upon him because they were huge stars. And he wanted Eva Marie Saint to be Julie Andrews's character. And he had talked to Cary Grant about being Paul Newman's character. And Paul Newman was of a different generation than those actors. He had so many notes and memos and questions. And Alfred Hitchcock got all offended and thought Paul Newman was being disrespectful. And so... Paul Newman was quoted as saying that, like, yeah, they didn't get along great, but he respected him. But also, they probably would have gotten along great if it, the script hadn't come between them. And then Julie Andrews's take on the whole thing is like, look, I didn't have much to do. I just had to look good. I knew that Alfred Hitchcock was going to make me look good. Um... I know I probably wasn't his first choice in this, but I just looked at it as I get to work with Alfred Hitchcock. So I just showed up, did what I had to do, and that's that. Mm -hmm. Those are my nerd alerts. Okay. My quote from her said she didn't really have to act. Yeah. And I could have used a little acting from her. Well, she was given... A nothing character. I mean, her character doesn't make any sense. Yeah. 
No. So it's she tough. I thought that she did her best acting. Well, we'll get into it in the in the reheatables and the MVPs. Okay. Well, we are now to the reheatables. Oh, nice. Okay, I have five negative ones. I have five negative ones. Okay. My first is Paul uh, Michael walking across the Pootsfrau's floor with no, no, paying no attention to the fact these women are on their hands and knees scrubbing this floor. Oh, come on. Um, my negative was the fight with black leather coat. Dude, but what it was, but now because it just was so long, but now I understand why. Yeah, so. that's hard. It's hard to kill a man. Um, there really wasn't romantic chemistry. None. And Julie, like. The person on the on the Alfred Hitch blog was like, they seem like they were in two different movies. Yeah. Wow, that did not work at all. I, I bet they had more chemistry during the premiere on the red carpet. Just I, just Paul and Julie together whew. meeting for the first time that they did yeah. in this movie. At least I want to say. I don't know. I don't know. Now, you're telling me that the prima ballerina who, uh, uh, not nerd alert, but um, she is the the black fur hat lady from mm -hmm. the plane. Mm -hmm. um, she was a famous ballerina? Mm -hmm. Because that ballet sequence looked really... It was really weird. Real amateur. weird. Yeah. Really amateur to me. But she was a professional... But like, no, she was a professional, she was a baby ballerina. So, you know, there had been some ballerina mileage. I don't, I just know the, the training for being a ballerina is very difficult and hard and exacting. So I don't, I mean, how many old ballerinas do you see? Okay. And, but, okay. And it's, also it's they were... This was an East Berlin ballerina troupe. Like they, these, they were past their prime. Okay. They, they kind of felt like they were, you know, like the the next stop is that they were gonna end up being the whole mime factory from Easy Rider. You know, let them get to California and set up a whole yeah. commune where they could just yeah. do their okay. weird ballet. And then my last is just my own because it, the whole thing revolved around chemistry and math. And it was like, so boring to me. So, yeah, the MacGuffin in this is so nerdy. Yes. I mean, the, yes. the, the whole climax for the MacGuffin is dueling chalkboards. It is. Which was a bad reheatable on mine. But then, you know how I am. I started thinking about it. And I was like, dually chalkboard. So I, I did kind of get into it. It it started and I was like, are you kidding me? We're doing dueling chalkboards. And then I kind of did get into it. I was like, oh, snap. 
There really it is. Was, oh, science. Um, it was suspenseful because they were over the loudspeaker. They were looking for Paul. New I mean, and, yeah. And his whole thing was that he had to get the information that he wanted from the guy without giving the guy any information. So exactly. he had to he had to like play it off. And you have to think he, he's a pretty renowned physicist, so he's got to have ego. He has to, to, to this guy, basically make him look like he doesn't know anything. Which, for yeah. an academic, that's not something that comes naturally to those people. When you're, you know what I'm saying? Like, that high up on the echelon, that mm -hmm. then you have to go and play dumb. But yet, you have to be smart enough so that you, that the guy isn't like, you're a complete imposter, you don't know what you're talking about. But to the guy has to then be like condescending, like, oh, what? No. And and that's how you draw it out of him, which was the mm -hmm. whole reason that he said that he had to be the one to do it. Right. And then when he goes, then he has to put it all down in his mind. And that was I, I did like I was like, look at Paul Newman thinking. Yeah. He's trying to memorize all of those squiggly lines. Yeah had no idea what any of them meant what the hell but then it is kind of funny like it's like well i guess i do understand how this didn't become a huge success hitch <laughs> you, you did end it, it, you it. it to the dueling chalkboards yeah north by northwest you had a whole scene where they're running around on the face of mount rushmore and this is dueling chalkboards in a in a leipzig uh yeah lecture room yeah and then i'm like chalk what is that yeah all right so <sighs> my bad reheatables oh we already mentioned it julie andrews helmut hair helmet i mean i was just like that is exactly helmet hair yes it was you know it kind of did remind me of mrs gray's hair Oh my God! I thought I I I had a swallow in my mouth <laughs> because I knew you were gonna say my hair when I had the mullet, and I was gonna have to come no. through this microphone and hurt you. You never had hair Helmut hair like that, okay. ma. You okay. always you always mixed and mashed it up. Plus, doesn't it take a bit of time to get um hair of that texture to be that big yes so which is why i'm sure after seeing her real hair in sound of music this had to have been a wig but yeah was i was wondering how she was able to to just do that because i was like Cause this is what this is what happens to still have that hair and there are people who still have that hair you got to go to the beauty shop you got to get your hair washed you got to get it then you go to your person and they will cut cut it, trim it. Then they will set it on rollers with a lot of product. Then they will take the rollers out after it's dry. Then they will tease it, backcomb it. Then they but will But is teasing when they you take a strand of hair and then you you do you go downward? Yeah, backcomb. The opposite of combing. <sighs> Yeah. God. Then they smooth it. Then they lacquer the hell out of it. Oh my! And yes, that was 
rest her soul, Mrs. Greyhair. Yeah, but but Mrs. Greyhair, it was longer, so it was more. I would say Buffon. Yeah, like Julie Andrews' hair in this, it's you can tell it's short. It's cut short, and it's just, and and then plus the, I thought it had a weird color to it. Yeah. Where I'm like, is she blonde? Is she a brunette in this? This it almost seems like a leopard style. Is that what they're going for? Because in the beginning, when they're lying in bed together, when that would be the time for them to actually have some chemistry before all of this went to hell, um, you can see she has. There's like dark roots, and then the then it's lighter on the ends, and uh, it was just really strange. Yeah. And secondly, uh, Mary mentioned she's his assistant. I that's it's not a good rehearsal in the times of Me Too. No, it's not. And plus the way that he then treated her the entire time. Mm-hmm. I mean, which goes into then their whole relationship. Mm-hmm. That it kind of doesn't really make sense because if she's his fiance, wouldn't he have told her about this and then you could say well no he didn't tell her because he didn't want her to get in trouble or like involved in it but then that was the thinking at the time you couldn't tell a woman because she's gonna blow it for you but yes if they had a trusted relationship he could have shared it with her this you know you have to stay home because you're you're gonna make uh, it's gonna be harder to get two people out than one if we even get to that point yeah like i have some some secret like classified business i have to attend to you can't know what it's about i've already said too much you have to stay here kill you yeah i feel like like he needed to have the poppy talk there are gonna be times when i tell you to do something and you're just going to have to trust me and do it. I'm not going to have time to explain to you <laughs> why I told you to do something. I just need you to do it. Look, 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 here. look, look. Now, I already okay. told you. Which that this movie is very short if we recast it with Manziel Bush. <laughs> <laughs> very short movie. And even less dialogue. Less dialogue. <laughs> he does He does his speech, and then he just shoots you the eyes. That's it. <laughs> she yes. did not even get on the... She, in fact, she just opened the plane mid-flight. <laughs> That's <laughs> all. <laughs> You're lucky if there's a parachute on here, because you are leaving now. I already... I got shot the look. I made a horrible mistake. I know yeah. this is my penalty. Yes. Okay. Then, yeah. I mean, which goes right into the next reheatable, just the character of Sarah. Just real bad look. Real bad look for women. Just, I thought at one point when they brought her in and she didn't know about it because she was the assistant, but she hadn't been spoken to by the secret police. And so the professor, I thought maybe she was going to swoop in and then like catch on somehow magically in movie world and like save the day and do the right thing um but no it was 1966 so that didn't happen no i was just like man you you went from the sound of music 
outsmarting the Nazis to just basically uh, doing nothing, Julie Andrews. It's, but she got paid. Nice paycheck. So, yeah. and I, I can't, I can't really blame her. It wasn't her fault. Um, and we already mentioned the dueling chalkboards. And then my other, my last reheatable, I don't know much about cigars. But I'm pretty sure that one of the people in it, I think it's the professor, I forget who, somebody started puffing on a green cigar. Mm-hmm. It was green. Mm-hmm. There are green cigars. There are green cigars? Yeah. Well, and excuse my ignorance. Especially in the Soviet bloc at the time when... You didn't get premium anything, but yeah, the, uh, there are, I don't think, uh, and maybe, maybe they could be some of the best cigars. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, they were getting the Cubans, so. That's true. I have one positive. Oh, I got a bunch of positives. Okay. My positive was that Dr. Casca was a female. Ah, yes. Okay, so hit me with your positives. Newman and the farm woman murdering the man in silence? That was great. That was almost like a quiet place, wasn't it? Yes. It was so suspenseful and so like, man, like, yeah, they're killing a man and they are doing it quietly and they're doing it because they have no other choice. It was terrifying. And even if they spoke the same language, they would have pretty much have had to do it without speaking because taxi driver was right there. Exactly. And I got to say, they had more chemistry murdering the man than Newman and Julie Andrews did being fiancés. Yeah. True that. And I think that that woman who was the farm lady, that she was on The Young and the Restless for like a long time. <gasps> Teeny would know her. So I'm just saying. My second great reheatable is Julie Andrews's nose and Paul Newman's eyes. Both okay. are fantastic. I think her nose is overrated, but go ahead. It's just weird how ski slopey it is. Yeah, it's very ski slopey. Just adorable. Just adorable. It's like some, it's literally like the nose from Whoville. It's just whoop. Like, oh, it's a Christine Baranski nose. You're, you're like, wow. And it, like, Paul Newman's eyes, sometimes in these old movies, you just don't buy it because you think, ah, oh, they did something with the dyes. They did something mm-hmm. with the Technicolor, the color timing. But man, they just popped in here. I think there was mm-hmm. a lot of light being shown on him because his pupils were really small. And so all you got was the blueness and you're like, wow. Yeah, I'll definitely take that any day. Those are super blue. Wow. Okay. The his the whole premise behind Newman defecting, once he said it, I was like, you know what? That's pretty solid logic. This is the third time. Last time I'll say it. It's about the most solid thing of the entire plot. I'm like, this is something that doesn't make sense. Defense wins championships. It's true. (laughs) Uh, 
Gromick's Americans thing, like, yeah, oh, you that do was, say that big was... deal. Like, his whole character, he was great. He was. Sad to see him go, but that was a great scene, too. Um, And that was all for my good reheatables. Oh, the, okay. the, the uh, museum scene, that was good, too. Yeah, the, the footsteps. Mm-hmm. MVP. All right. Go ahead. Okay. I have a runner-up, and I have an MVP. I have an MVP. Well, I mean, just always uh, just Paul Newman's presence. But <clears throat> you are going to um, take offense at this. But I did feel like, as did Alfred Hitchcock, that the Countess's pleading with them to help her, that was my favorite scene. Because I really felt like Paul and Julie phoned this one in. Sorry. It's controversial. You mean phoned in that scene or phoned in the movie? The whole performance. Oh, they totally phoned this in. Yeah. But I felt like the Countess was the... Well, the Countess and Black Leather Coat. But mostly the Countess because it was such a good scene. I... He said he could have cut some of it, but it was his favorite part of the movie. Ah. I really liked her. I At first, she was just irritating, but then she seemed the most genuine thing in the entire movie. Well, she seemed very suspicious to me, and then when you were thinking about it, and it was like, oh, like, maybe she... Because how she picks them up and stuff, like, where mm-hmm. she does in the movie... Makes her seem super sketchy. Exactly. But then when she's explaining it, it's like, yeah, I mean, if she is this countess and she wants to get to America, she doesn't need an American. And if you don't know an American and you hear somebody, although it's kind of funny because she heard Julie Andrews, who's was <laughs> not doing a British accent. Yeah, she's doing true. a British accent. And. Did she know? Because it was on the news about Paul Newman at that point. Because people right. were after them. So did she know that Paul Newman was the American and recognized them? And that's why she's like, oh, an American? Because right now the logic doesn't make sense that she hears British Julie Andrews talking. is like, oh, you're an American. You can sponsor me. Yeah, that's true. Because it's like, Julie, whoa, whoa. I, what's Julie Andrews' paper situation doing? Who's she sponsoring anyone in America? What's her visa like? Is she using Newman? Oh my gosh! She's not in love with Michael Armstrong. She's using him to get American papers. (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe. Now the movie makes sense. No, it still doesn't make sense. (laughs) That was her sponsor. You saw the lengths that the Countess would go to. And I have to say, the most heartbreaking scene of the entire film was when the Countess trips the German officer. I thought she was going to get shot. But she's just like, oh, my sponsor. But I'm like, you have the address unless they gave you a fake one. Well, yeah. They probably did because... Yeah, that was good. Hey, Zorba the Greek, Academy Award. Tony, 
That's what that gets Okay, you. and your MVP, your honorable mention? My honorable mention does go to Julie Andrews. It's, <laughs> it's her line reading when Paul Newman comes up to her in the plane and she just goes, okay, he comes up to her. She's on the plane. You know, he's mad. It's like, oh, snap. She's on the plane, comes up to her, and she just goes, hello, Michael. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's going, what in the name of hell are you doing here? Hello, uh, hello Michael. I was like, <laughs> wow. That's I. That's one way. <laughs> I like that. It just tickled me so much. And then the real MVP of this film. So... At the end, they cut. They, they there's this whole thing. They have the ballerina, the prima ballerina recognizes Michael and Sarah in the audience. The plan is they go to this play. I don't know why they have to go to this play. <laughs> it's a they, ballet. They go to this ballet. They're supposed to leave the ballet. They're supposed to be um, put in baskets with the ballet company on an East German boat. And then when the boat docks in what Sweden. Then they're safe because they're in Sweden. But the entire time they're on the boat, they have to stay in these baskets, which is like the props for the ballet. So the prima ballerina is on stage. Notices all blue eyes. It's like, I know that motherfucker. That's Paul Newman. That's Michael Armstrong. Tells people. That's when the whole melee commences. They fight their way through. They get put in the basket. So then the baskets are on the boat. I have a question about that. Even in 1966, I would think that they wouldn't put costumes in those baskets because having sailed across the Black Sea... On the love boat to Sweden. That's not the Black Sea, Ma. I thought the Black Sea's like in Russia. Okay, it's not the Black Sea. It's whatever sea it's like it the, is. The North Sea or something. Keep keep asking your question. I'll Google There's Matthew. a lot of weather that's happening. So why do you have wicker baskets holding costumes? It should have been closed trunks. Or something. You see what I'm saying? I do, but they can't. They'll die in closed trunks. Okay. It's got to be. It looks like it is the. It's. Depends on where you're sailing from. Then it's either the Baltic Sea or the North Sea. Ah, the Baltic Sea. It's a very rough sea, my friends. Um, Aaron and I were seasick the entire time. Yeah, I didn't do well. No, we didn't. Neither of us did. I've well. been told. Um. Okay, so they put them in there, right? Okay, go ahead. The prima ballerina is on the boat, and she's like, she sees the the baskets, and she's like, whoa, 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 because they they took two of the baskets off to to board separately. And the, those are all, and they're in the air. It's Hitchcock suspense and stuff because we know that they're in there. And the prima ballerina is like, "Yo, nope, they're they're in there. There are Americans in there. Do not put it down." 
And so then the East German, because it's an East German boat, they're like, what prima ballerina? And she's like, yo, there's defectors in there. So they yo, just, yo, 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 yo. So they just commenced to just shooting it with machine guns. And when they, and the Swedish people are like, oh my gosh. And they let it down and it's empty. And then it cuts to the, um, Michael and the, the C guy, the, the, like the, the guy that, that made the last minute switch and Julie Andrews, they don't, they were in the water and they climb up and they're on Swedish territory. They're safe. That guy is the MVP. Cause they say, Hey, why did you make the last second switch? And he yes. said, because I overheard the ballerina talk about how they caught defectors in the wicker baskets before. And at the last second I made the switch. I'm like, Holy shit. This guy's the MVP of the movie. If yeah. he hadn't heard that, if he hadn't eavesdropped and heard that and was like, oh, the jig's up, they'd be dead. Yeah. And a lot of ballet costumes would be blood red. Yeah. So I, I, had, I, had, another, I had another sticky, can't get it out. I had another MVP. But when that happened, I was like, my man, you the real MVP. That's true. He saved the entire thing. Entire. He couldn't save the whole movie, but he did save. He did what little he could. He did what he could. Because Hitchcock came up with an ending that only he and his wife liked. Yeah. And that ending was that uh, Paul Newman's character just tosses the the Leipzig information away. The answer to the yeah. anti-missile He's missile. just like, man, forget this shit. Yeah, it's it's not worth it. Yeah. After everything I went through, I'm going to throw this into the sea and fuck it. Yeah. And everyone, his wife was like, I like that. He, Hitchcock's like, it goes to the futility of the whole situation. And Universal's like, nah, man. Nope. This is Paul Newman. Yeah. Paul we Newman wins. So. Okay. And so your other MVP? Oh, that was my MVP. I had, my runner-up was the Hello, Michael. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, we're to recasting, and I have a rather... I didn't do it. I did two of them. I'll tell you why. Because it's hard? Because it's like, who are you going to... Like, Julie Andrews' character doesn't do anything, and these two people are in two different movies, so it's kind of... What are we recasting here exactly? Well, two reasons. One is I just wasn't, I was disappointed. I was uh, disappointed. I was, I wasn't just because I, in my mind, I had goldfinched myself, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I did. In know. my mind, I was yeah. like, ooh, Torrin Curran, ooh. And then I was watching, I was like, oh, you know what? This isn't, this isn't that bad. Yeah, more on that. But I couldn't make a Hamilton cast because in reality, in 1966 East Germany, people of color would have completely stood out as, you know, if Michael were uh, Idris Elba or Ice Cube or... or Denzel Washington. Uh, Gabrielle Union... It would be, oh, look for the black woman. Look for the black dude. So it was just like, 
yeah, I can't do that. I could have done a female cast, but I just didn't have it in me. All right. Well, I did a straight by the numbers. I was like, all right. Um, first of all, I think. Oh my god, I could have done a. I could have done a white cast again, couldn't I? Well, yeah, that's what I did. Two white casts. Just okay. just the two leads that I did. Okay. My main problem was that Paul Newman, I never believed that he would defect from the U.S. So right. I needed somebody who I thought would defect from the U.S. My, my first thought, and I was like, I don't really want to see this movie with Steve Buscemi as the lead. So oh, God. I nixed no, that. Uh <laughs> right? But but you believe that he would defect. Yeah. But I nixed that. And then I was like, all right, who else? So I settled on Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay. I'm like, all you right. You know who I'm going to put right now? All right, go ahead. Edward Norton. Yeah. You know. Okay. You, okay. You're like, he seems wishy-washy. Right. Seems like he might, you know. And then for the second role, I was like, well, this is just a toss away. Um yeah. There's nothing much going on, so why don't we just toss it to Blake Lively? There you go. Yeah. And you know what? Benedict and Blake would have, I mean, maybe an iota of chemistry. Yeah, but you don't know. That's also why it's it's a good recasting, because it's the same kind of, maybe they don't have any chemistry whatsoever. Yeah. Great. But at least you don't mind looking at, at either of them. So then... Two hours. Okay. I was like, all right, let me flip this. On, I don't know if you listened to the latest episode of My Favorite Murder, but they did the Texas cheerleading murdering mom. And Did they? I don't know if you've been watching Succession, but they I did have. that. So I'm like, you know what? Holly Hunter needs to be in more roles. I'm casting Holly Hunter as Michael Armstrong in my recasting. Yeah. I thought that would be great. I would, yeah. be, I would believe that I would believe anything that that woman tells me. Yep. And I'm like, great. Who am I going to get for the, you know, the throwaway role? Who's the assistant that she's engaged with, but they can run roughshod all over. And I was like, you know what? What about Holden from Mindhunter? Jonathan Groff. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. He's there cast as the Sarah character. Yeah. Yeah, because he could do that that um, crushed look. Yeah, that would work. Yeah, it's just, there, there you go. Okay, I apologize, people. I just wasn't there. Okay, Tasty Nuggets. Okay. We already said how Alfred Hitchcock made the fight scene so that it's really hard to kill a human. Mm -hmm. Alfred Hitchcock was so unhappy with this movie. Usually he made a trailer with himself in it. He didn't do that for no. this movie. He was like, nope, I'm too unhappy. Although, you did see when he showed up in a movie, right? His cameo? I didn't see the cameo. What? It was early. I it read was like where it eight was, minutes but I in. He was it. in the hotel lobby with a nine-month-old baby on his knee. And he was, like, looking for the mom. And they said he looked at his knee like, what did you leave on my yeah, knee? Yeah, like, he was like, well, yeah, seriously, what's it. going on? Mm-hmm. Okay, we talked about the alternate. Um, we talked. Oh, Alfred Hitchcock didn't want Paul Newman and Julie Andrews because of their exorbitant fees, and their those fees. I think it was like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. 
and that was the highest people were getting paid at the time. Yeah. Um, Alfred Hitchcock says it's one of his unhappiest directing jobs. Yeah. See, so so kind of Alfred also kind of phoned it in. He, well, it's weird because he kind of did phone things in, but then he kind of didn't phone things in. Like he... He did some of his his stuff, the yeah. footsteps and the and the crowd scene, trying to, and yeah. But then but, a lot of stuff he was just like, nah. And and then Paul Newman was like, said it. He said we all knew it was a loser from the beginning. Yeah. But it didn't really. It didn't lose money. It made money. No, it didn't. It was one of the highest grossing films of 1969 for Universal. Mm -hmm. So, um. Paul Newman and Alfred Hitchcock just weren't on the same page because Paul Newman was a method actor, as you talked about. Mm -hmm. So one time he asked Alfred Hitchcock, what was his motivation? And Alfred Hitchcock said, your salary. <laughs> they're, so, they're people of two different schools. They were of two. Oh, they're really you know, two different generations. It's like the yeah. thing with you talking to somebody from this generation and that generation of how things yeah. are. And yeah, it's, it's true. It's just like, ugh. Like, why uh, am I doing this? Your money, you're getting paid to. Somebody else Alfred Hitchcock would have liked, besides Cary Grant, he would have liked Anthony Perkins to play the role. Now, you could believe he'd be a defense. I do. Yeah. I think he probably would have been better in it. Yeah. Um, and I believe him more as a physicist than I believe. Yes. The thing is, yes. Paul Newman, not this, not that he couldn't be that smart, but it's just that someone that good looking doesn't need to be that smart. Exactly. So why would they become exactly. that? You know? So why would they spend all the time in those dusty, chalky classrooms when they didn't have to? Yeah. They like looked in the mirror. They from an early age were like, "Man, women just seem to kind of do whatever I want. People kind of just kind of give me things. Um, this is interesting. Let me go be a physicist." It's like, yeah. I did hear that during the filming, at one point, a young Steven Spielberg was able to sneak onto the soundstage for like 45 minutes to watch the filming before he was caught and thrown out. Oh, that's interesting because he would sneak onto Universal's set, mm -hmm. like their studios. Interesting. Um, those were my tasty nuggets. Man, I would never... You, that's always the thing with Spielberg. It's like, yeah, he snuck onto the set of Universal Studios. And, like, I was listening to an interview with Sean Penn, and he would sneak into audition. He would, like, climb fences into, into, like, studios and stuff. He knew where all the fences, the best fence climbing places were. I would never do such things. That's such... I, I feel like it's privilege. Yeah, I get caught. it's white privilege because yeah. you see a white person walking around the set that you don't know. You go, well, they must have a reason to be here. Little brown girl, come with me. <laughs> Excuse me. You're going to the Hooskow. <laughs> I also have, so Bernard Herrmann's score was rejected. Hitchcock said at the beginning, he said, 
Bernard. The audience is now. They are different. They're young. They're vigorous. I need a different sounding score. Mm-hmm. And Herman was like, I got you, Hitch. He went away, did his score, came back. Hitchcock was like, what is this? I hate it. And then Bernard Herman was like, you hate it? And Bernard Herman said, I quit. And Hitchcock said, you don't have to quit. You're fired. And those two who collaborated on so many films never spoke again. Yeah. And the, who was it? John Addison or something? I don't yeah, know. John Addison was hired to complete it. Okay. Um, yeah, that was all of my, you did all of mine. I, I was disappointed. So, so what are we doing next week? Next week. We're doing a movie that I've heard about, but I've never seen. 1977. Sports comedy. Slapshot. Slapshot. I did happen to, because I didn't do alternate casting, I did write down Paul Newman's movies from best to worst according to some place. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that the torn curtain was right smack dab in the middle, I went, oh my God. There are as many not good movies, as, oh. um, but but Slapshot is supposed to be supposed to be uh, uh, well. It's number nine on my list of best to worst. So, what did they put as his number one? This one had number one, Cool Hand Luke. Ah, well, number yeah. two was The Sting. Oh. Number three was The Hustler. Number four, Butch Cassidy. So um, another one I looked at before we came on had The Sting, number one, Butch Cassidy, number two, Cool Hand Luke, number three. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. So those are right up there. Okay. Slapshot it is next week. And I, because I felt like I was letting you and our listeners down, I wanted to go online and find out what Paul Newman thought his worst movie was. Oh, fascinating. So then I did some Paul Newman trivia. Mm-hmm. So there are a few things I did not know. What? I didn't know he was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, well, it's, it's I, at Shaker Heights. Shaker Heights, which is a very upscale part of Cleveland. Oh. But it's the mistake by the way. I cannot comment. I plead the fifth on this, but just but read what my silence. Means. There was no mistake when he was born, and he went to college in Kenyon. Yeah, Kenyon in Ohio. If I had known that, I might have gone to college in Ohio. Then I wouldn't be here. That's true. Oh, it would not be the same world without you and Boo. And then we wouldn't know Teeny. Um. He was in the Navy. You know, you said last last week that he was, he enlisted in 1943 in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And he was discharged in 46. So he did his time in the Pacific. Yeah, he like saw shit. Yeah. Like he, had, like he knew people who died and stuff. 
he burned his tuxedo on his 75th birthday. Really? Yeah, he hated <laughs> And he looks so he looks freaking so good, good in though. a tuxedo. Yeah, he went, yeah, I don't have to do this again. He was offered the role of Quint in Jaws. Wow. But yeah. what's his face was so good at it. But Robert Shaw. Yeah. I think that was a good pass because Robert Shaw was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my most favorite and probably one of his most favorite trivias is he was on Nixon's enemy list. <laughs> I think he loved well, that. Yeah. I mean, we've we've waxed poetically about how he looked. In all of the photographs of from his when he was at the March on Washington. Yeah. I mean, wow. I know. I know. And so that is instead of recasting, I did some Paul Newman trivia and I felt good about absolutely everything. Yes. Also that he was born in January, not in September. <laughs> yes. On my birthday. Mm-hmm. Well, I was born on his birthday, truth yes. be told. Um, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Pretty lucky stuff there. Yeah. Ohio, just two opposite ends, Cleveland, Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. Yeah. I, I don't think he ever went back, right? <laughs> so. I don't think he did. I don't think he did. They Someone once said, uh, because he met Joanne on The Long Hot Summer, the set of The Long Hot Summer, and he divorced his first wife to marry her. Mm-hmm. But, and I'm sure that there are discrepancies with this, but it was, it was never reported that he had any infidelities with her. And people ask him why, and he said, well, uh, why have hamburger when you have steak at home? I I choose to believe it, although, I mean, that's like, that's that's putting Newman up on a rather high pedestal. It is. Because it's Paul Newman, so you know who's throwing themselves at him. Everybody. But the fact that there were no scandals, I mean, there was one website that said Hollywood scandals, Paul Newman. I went on it, they go. Yeah, sorry, there are no scandals. Here's his life. So he was able to stay out of Scandal City, Hollywood. I mean, he wasn't a dumb man. So I'm, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I really hope that it's true and it could pretty, it could be true or he's, he was at least smart enough to, be smart in whatever he did. Exactly. Which I hats off again. Makes us appreciate him more. Yeah. P-N-A-M. Paul Newman Appreciation. <laughs> Bow down. <laughs> okay, listeners, next week, Slapshot. Bye-bye.